Today I want to share with you a uh, just for a few minutes concerning a subject that's really not very popular. You don't hear this preached about very often, but unless we come to an understanding of this subject, then we're never going to have really a, a fully intimate relationship with God. We're never going to be used by God in, in significant ways, and we're not, not going to touch the lives of people around us in a, in a way that matters. Our prayer lives will be uh, less effective and our, 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 our lives will be empty and shallow and we will frankly not be the people God wants us to be. And that's the subject I want to talk about. I want to share for, with you for a few minutes concerning brokenness. And we're actually starting a two-part series on brokenness called, If It Ain't Broke, Break It. And for all of my English language aficionados, I know that's improper gram- grammar, but it's a better title that way. It just catches you when you say, if it ain't broke, break it. I know that's r- wrong and it rubs me the wrong way too, but, but just uh, it's a better title. But in Luke chapter 20, verse 18, Jesus said this, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. He says, listen, when we throw our lives on him, we are broken to pieces for, for a specific purpose. But if he falls on us, then we're going to be crushed. Uh, and until we are broken before God, we will, we will never know him the way that he, he wants us to know him. We won't impact our own families or even our own neighborhoods, much less the world, until we are broken before God. And today we're going to be talking about being broken in the right places because we hear the, the word broken and and we know that the scripture says that he wants to heal our brokenness, but there's, but there are some places he wants to heal brokenness and the other places in our lives that he wants to be broken. And we're going to be talking about being broken in the right places. So what does it mean to be broken? What areas of my life should be broken? These are the questions for which we will hopefully find the answer this morning. And before we do, would you just bow your head and let's ask for the Lord's help. Lord, as I come before you, I am, I am truly weak. I have, uh, I don't feel ready in, in, in a sense. I don't, I know I'm not qualified. I know I'm not good enough. That's the, the, the sense that I'm trying to communicate, Lord, to make this word come alive. I know that there's nothing I can do to change a heart. And I pray God that in Jesus name that you would make up for the lack, that you would anoint these words, that you would speak to us, that you would stir us. And God, yes, in fact, you would break us where we need to be broken. And that we would help us, help us, Lord, to see where we are, where we need to be broken before you. And Lord, that we would allow your spirit to take us to that place, even though it may be painful. And we believe you for it in Jesus name. Amen. So where do we need to be broken? What are the right places where we need to be broken in our lives? Well, the first one is uh, very simple, and I think every parent here will really get this one, and that is our wills need to be broken. Our wills need to be broken. We are a very strong-willed people as human beings, aren't we? We are. Deuteronomy 9.13, God was speaking to Israel, and it's true for all of us. It says, and the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and they are a stiff-necked people indeed. I love that whole image, that old language of stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked means stubborn. It means that that they're, you're 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 standing strong against something, and you're and you've set your head against it, and your neck is stiff, and you're not going to bend. You're not going to give in. It's a matter of our wills. And the truth is, we often fight the will of God in our lives. There are times 
when we know what God wants, but we keep fighting it and we keep resisting it. Has that ever happened in your life? Have you ever done that in your life? Anybody here? Let me see your hand because I sure have had those times in my life and, and we do that, but we need to look at the example of Jesus and even Jesus didn't like everything that came his way. Isn't that right? But he was still broken in his will. What did he say in the garden right before his crucifixion in Luke 22? He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In other words, he's saying, Lord, this is not what I want. So if you can make it different, if you, we can do this a different way, let's do it the other way. But then he said, yet not my will, but yours be done. He submitted his will to the Father. And why did he do that? He did that because he knew that the end would be worth the now. He knew that the what he was going to accomplish at the end of all of this was going to be worth whatever suffering he dealt with. And we all, we're told that very thing in Hebrews chapter 12 where he said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, listen, this is the why, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why did he endure the cross? It wasn't because he wanted to. It wasn't because it was pleasant. He endured the cross because there was a joy that was set before him. He could see the results of it down the road. He could see that it was going to provide for the salvation of all mankind. He could see you sitting in your pew today being a follower of Jesus. And that joy was in front of him. He said, because I know there's something greater down the road. I'm willing to go through this now. So I will surrender. I will allow my will to be broken before you. I'll do what you want, God. And you know, that example is so true for us too. We, we don't need to resist God's will because the truth for us is the end will also be worth the now. This is how Paul said it in first, excuse me, second Corinthians four seventeen. I love this verse. It blows my mind every time I read it because I think about what Paul suffered, you know, shipwreck, beatings, whippings, stonings. I mean, all these things he went through. And this is what he says for this light and momentary affliction. And I always, I always laugh when I read that from Paul. I'm like, Paul, if that's light and momentary, then I, what I'm going through is nothing. But he says for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. He's saying, saying it doesn't really matter what happens in this life. If God is in me, if God is leading me, if God is at work, it doesn't matter what happens to me because all this is, is, is getting me ready for my ultimate, ultimate destima, destination. And that is that I'm going to be living forever in the presence and the glory of Jesus. And so we have to reach a place of brokenness in our wills where we are willing to say, God, not what I want, but what you want. It, 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 we need to get to a place where we recognize recognize that God's way is the best way, even if his way is inconvenient, even if his way is difficult, even if his way is painful for us. And we need to do that because we need to understand that the price of stubbornness is very high. Exodus 33, 3 says, go up, go to, up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff necked people and I might destroy you on the way. This is right after Israel had rejected God's word where, where God told them, you go in and take the land. I know there are giants there, but I got this. 
But they listened to the 10 spies that said, no, we can't do this. And so then uh, they had they faced some uh, punishment after that and they were going to be banished to the wilderness. And then they said, no, hey, let's obey God now. Let's do it. And God said, go ahead, go do it if you want. But I'm not going to go with you because if I go with you, I'm going to destroy you because of your stubbornness. That's in, in essence what he said. And what we learn there is that if I'm continually stubborn in my life and I'm continually pushing God's will to the side and if I'm continually saying, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, the result of that will eventually be a loss of God's presence in our lives. He said, go up, do what you want, but I will not go with you. God's anger is kindled toward us when we constantly and stubbornly reject His will. See, it's really an issue of surrender but the problem with most of us, especially in the Western church here in America, is that we only want to surrender when it's convenient. And that's not the way it is. We can't go that way because the price is far too high. Our wills must be broken before God. The second place where we need to be broken. Not only must our wills be broken before God, but this is a tough one. Our pride must be broken before God. We, we are often so full of pride. You know, we, we, we think very, very highly of ourselves. And we, we tend to think that the world revolves around us. Um, th that's the essence of pride right there, that I'm the most important in the world. And which is why, by the way, when people uh, say they struggle with poor self-esteem, that's actually just, that's just an outgrowth of pride in their life. It really is because when a person with poor self-esteem walks in the room and they're thinking, oh, that person's talking about me over there. Who's their focus on? They're all, it's all about them. And, and, and so the problem with pride, though, in our lives is that it is supremely insidious. We have great, great difficulty in seeing pride in our own lives. And why is that? It's because of the very nature of pride. Pride tells me that I'm okay. In fact, the truth is pride tells me that I'm more than okay. And, and, and therefore, we may be painfully oblivious to when others around you may, may, may uh, uh, be, they look at you and they see your pride and, and you may be completely oblivious and utterly blind to this monstrous pride in you, but it's obvious to them. So I think what we need to do is we need to look at some earmarks of pride that will things that will tip us off to say, maybe I've got some pride I need to deal with in my life. Because often if we just say, I'm going to look for pride, we can't see it. It's a blind spot in our lives. So what are some, some tips? What are some earmarks of pride? I'm going to give you just four of them. And I don't claim these are the only markers of pride in a person's life, but these I believe are some of the major ones. The first one is this. When we are easily offended at the words or actions of someone else, it's probably a pride issue. When, 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 how many of you have ever known somebody who had a, a spirit of offense and they were always looking for something to be offense, offended about? You ever known anybody like that? Don't point fingers, don't look at them, but, but, but when we are easily offended, that's usually probably a pride issue. And why is that? It's because we think we deserve better. But Jesus said to turn the other cheek. That's what Jesus said. Romans 12, 17 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. But when we are easily offended, if I easily get offended at what other people say or what other people do, 
and I feel the need to constantly defend myself or get angry about that, I probably have some pride there that I'm, that I'm not paying attention to. Here's another earmark. This is a really good one. It's a really good indicator. When we judge other people, it's pride. Maybe we judge them for how they look. And, and listen, some of us are not willing to, to admit that we judge other people. But, you know, when you're driving down the street and somebody walks across the road and they're dressed wild or they got tattoos in places that you don't even have places and, and they've got, you know, piercings in every part of their body and, and you look at them, there's a lot of us in this room, if we were honest, we would look at them and say, man, I'm glad I'm not them. And we, we easily judge people for how they look. We judge them for how they act. They, we judge them for how they talk. And I'm not here to say that every kind of judgment is wrong because the Bible says uh, what, what we can judge clearly what the Bible says. The Bible has judged certain things very clearly. So I'm not talking about saying whether something is sin or not. I'm talking about our own attitude where we begin to think somehow we're better than that other person. That's an indicator of pride. R regardless of why we judge them, we think that we're better than them. And the truth is that that's offensive to God who created them. You know, a number of years ago, in the first church I was, I was in, I was a youth pastor there. And uh, I, was, I was in the church office. I was the only one in the office that, that particular day. And this lady came to the office. They had a, a doorbell there and you'd go answer the door. And this lady shows up and, and, uh, and she says, you know, I've got a bus ticket. I, I just need a ride to get to this place, this specific location where she was going to catch the bus. And, and, uh, and it, I was young. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this today just because it's too dangerous. But I, I, I said, okay, I'll take you. And I took this woman by myself. I would never do that. Anybody that's a male in this room, don't ever, if you can possibly avoid it, don't take somebody that's not your wife or your child in a vehicle with you because it just opens the door. Even if nothing happens, it opens the door to all kinds of accusation. But I was foolish. And so I said, okay, come on, get in the car. We'll go. And we go get in the car and I always start driving toward, uh, toward this uh, place where I'm going to drop her off. And I'm, I'm just here to tell you, it became obvious very, very, very quickly in that enclosed space because it was summer. It was hot. So the windows were up and the air conditioning was on, but it came obvious in a very short period of time that this woman had not had a bath for a long time. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember sitting there and, and I was like, oh, I got to get to this place in a hurry. Man, this, this woman, oh my goodness, she just smells so bad. And, you know, I'm putting the windows down part of the way, trying to get fresh air in there. And I finally get there and drop her off and, and I rolled down all the windows to try to get the smell out. And I'm on my way back to the church. And ever, you ever have God speak to you in moments where you don't expect it? And I'm driving back to the church and, and I'm just thinking, man, I got it. You know, this smell is bad. I got to get it out of here. It was kind of lingering a little bit. And, and I was thinking about all this stuff. And, and, and right in that moment, the voice of the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And, and, and people say, was it an audible voice? My answer is no, it was much louder than that. It echoed all through my being. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, Hey, Dave, your, your pride and self-righteousness, that's exactly what your pride and self-righteousness smell like to me right now. Does anybody talk, God talk to you hard like that? And I had to repent before God because I began to realize I had a pride issue that I was blind to. Here's a third earmark. 
It's prideful to live life on our own power with our own wisdom. Because when we do that, when we ignore the word, when we ignore the counsel of God, when we ignore his voice and the leading of the spirit in our lives, and we just do what we want with our own ability, and we say, I can do it, I can handle it. What we're saying to God is just that. We're saying, God, I don't need you. I can handle this. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But anybody remember that last line? You can see it right on the screen. Apart from me, you can do a little bit. Oh, no, is that what it says? No, it says apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. I think we tend to read that verse and say, oh, that's so true. But in our minds, we think apart from me, apart from him, I can still do a little bit. I can, I can handle the little things. I can deal with this other thing over here in my life. And the truth is that's, that is arrogance. That's pride in my life. We need to recognize in our lives our complete and utter dependence on God. We are not self-sufficient and we need to admit that. Here's the, here's the last one, the fourth one. It's an act of pride and an act of arrogance. When we do what we want, instead of what God wants. It's very much related to uh, breaking our wills before Him. But let me, let me use just as an illustration for this, of how it works in our lives. Just I want to use the issue of forgiveness to show you how this often works itself out. We're, we're all aware in this place. I think everybody in this room knows that Scripture tells us that we are commanded that those who sin against us, we are commanded to forgive them in the same way the Heavenly Father forgives us. Everybody knows that that's in Scripture, right? We all know that's the command of God, right? In, in Mark eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus tells us to forgive whether or not the person even asks for forgiveness. He says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. He didn't say anything about going and finding the person and making things right in that passage. He's saying, if you realize that you have unforgiveness, forgive. It's a command right there. And let me just say this about forgiveness. This isn't a message on forgiveness, but I want to just throw this in here for this part. We often confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. And I don't have time to go today into the relationship between uh, forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. We actually covered this topic fairly extensively in our study of the life of Joseph. You can go online to our website at restorationlifechurch.tv and you can watch the, the it's part six of the series on the life of Joseph. You can watch that. And we spent a lot of time dealing with this and I, I'm not going to get into the details because of that. But let me just say that there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. We hope that reconciliation will follow after forgiveness, but they are not the same thing. We often in our culture think that forgiveness is saying that something is okay. In, in fact, if somebody comes to you and says, oh man, you know, I'm so sorry I did this. I'm so sorry I said that. What is one of the most common responses that we give? Oh, that's okay. That's okay. That is not forgiveness. Did God say that when he forgave you of your sin? Did you go to him and say, God, I'm a sinner. I have sinned against you in more ways than I can count. Did he say, oh, that's okay. It doesn't matter. No. What did he do? He said, you're right. That's exactly correct. You're true. You're, what you're saying is true. You are a sinner. 
And but but it because what Jesus did, I choose to forgive you. And so forgiveness is not saying that a sin committed to uh, against you is okay. And so why don't you you know just come on back into my life and we'll pretend that nothing happened. No, if you if you think that you're confusing forgiveness with reconciliation. But the truth is, and you can go into this study on the life of Joseph and hear this. The truth is. There, there, there is, there cannot be reconciliation uh, until the offending person chooses to repent of their action. And so, so that's a whole different issue altogether. But forgiveness itself, I believe, deals with the inner life of the injured party. And it's an inward letting go. Forgiveness actually comes from a, account, an accounting word where, where, where you talk about forgiving a debt. That's the whole idea behind it. It's inwardly saying, this person owes me nothing. It's inward canceling that debt and letting it go. Reconciliation, on the other hand, deals with the outward relationship of the injured party with the one who committed the offense. That's that relationship being healed that is separate, that is after forgiveness. You can't have that without forgiveness. You can't have that, that without repentance. The difference between forgiveness and reconciliation is that forgiveness requires nothing from the person that we are forgiving. They don't even have to know that we're forgiving them. But reconciliation requires repentance from the offender. Once One happens on the inside and the other takes place outwardly. So forgiveness is the act of canceling a debt inwardly so that it does not destroy the offended person. And, and, and admittedly, this can be very difficult, especially for people who have experienced deep cruelty and deep abuse and hurt. Yet we have to remember the one who commands it also is the one who hung on a cross after being beaten, after having his back open with the cat and nine tails, after being mocked. And as he's hanging there, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So forgiveness, we know, is necessary for our own spiritual, emotional and physical health. We often forget, though, that the command to forgive is not given for the sake of the offender. It's not even given for the sake of God. It is given, uh, we're, we're told to forgive because God knows under, uh, unforgiveness will destroy us. And, not, and it will obliterate any chance of forgiveness that we have for our own sins. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you don't forgive as freely as my father has forgiven you, then our father in heaven won't forgive your sins. So if I choose not to forgive, I'm, I am destroying any chance I have of forgiveness. So here's what happens with all that said. We get confused about forgiveness and reconciliation. And we begin to think that, man, if, if I forgive, then I'm just letting them off the hook. And, and, and we're, we think that somehow they, they just, they're just going to get away with it. And so then we refuse to forgive. We refuse to obey the command of God because we don't want to. The, the thing is, uh, uh, unforgiveness, and let's just be real, unforgiveness can kind of feel good. You know what I'm talking about? 
We, we don't want to let it go. We, want to, we don't want to milk it. We, we want that other person to suffer, even if that suffering is as minimal as denying them forgiveness for what they've done wrong. And pride will tell us that we have the right to be offended. We have the right to hold this grudge. Pride will, will, will say that, that, that we, we know what, what, what's best and that I don't have to deal with that. I have the right to be offended. I have the right to be angry. And when we do what we want because it feels right to us, instead of what he wants where he says to forgive what we're saying to God in that in that moment is that we know better than you God therefore disobedience whether it's in the arena of forgiveness or refusing to abandon things that God is calling us to leave behind or it's just walking in blatant sin in our daily lives and refusing to repent and forsake that sin or if it's even refusing to do the thing that God is calling us to do disobedience is the epitome of pride. And when we willfully disobey God, we are dethroning Him in our lives to do what we think is best. I, I have a, a nephew that when he was very young, two, maybe th probably three, um, they were, his parents, they were all in church and after service, um, they were, you know, the crowd, they had space back behind their uh, the, the pews and everything, and that's they didn't have a lobby. That was where people would gather to talk. And after service, they were back there. And well, my nephew got caught. They had at the time, you know what? You know those signs where you can change the words. You put the letters up, and they put different sayings up. And but it was really low to the ground. Well, he had gotten out there and started messing with those letters, and he wasn't supposed to, and he got caught. And so he was in a timeout, sitting in a chair right against the wall back there while everybody else was was talking. And, um, and so anyway, everybody's standing there talking and chatting. And all of a sudden, he pipes up just as loud as can be for everybody to hear. He said, I fired God. <laughs> and everybody's like, what? Where did, where? And even my brother and sister-in-law, they're like, where, does, where did he get this? And we, we laugh at that thinking some child, he didn't even know what being fired meant, but he was just mad and he wanted somebody to, to hear and understand he was mad. And, but here's the thing. This is the reason I tell you that story is because when we disobey God, you know what we're doing? We're standing there and saying, God, you're fired. You're fired. You're not the Lord of my life. You're not in charge anymore. I'm taking over. And we, we like to fire God when our will crashes, clashes with his. When he says, I don't want you to do that. And our, and our flesh says, but I really want to do that. And we do it anyway. We say, God, you're fired. I'm taking over now. I'm going to do what I want. Now, when things are blowing up in our lives and, you know, and things are falling apart, that's when we uh, suddenly we want to surrender. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm here for you. But but we have got to learn to trust him no matter what. And to know that if he tells us no on something, it's for a reason. If he tells us, I want you to walk in this way, it's for a reason. If he tells you, I want you to do this, it's for a purpose. And to, to learn to trust him no matter what. And instead of walking in the pride of disobedience, to walk in the humility of walking in obedience with him the truth is god hates pride in fact he opposes the proud first peter 5 all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore under god's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time listen you hear that phrase god opposes the proud 
God opposes the proud. This is a battle I cannot win. Isn't that true? The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? And we love to rejoice in that. But you know what? I think the opposite is true also. If God is against us, who can be for us? God opposes the proud. If God is up against us, then we're, we're in trouble. And so we've got to deal with the pride in our lives so that he, we're not walking in opposition to him. So how then can our pride be broken? First thing that needs to happen is we need to see us, we need to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to see his holiness in order to understand who we really are. We don't hear a lot about holiness in the church in America today, but we need to because we know that God is a holy God. And we're told in Hebrews that without holiness, no man will see God. So we need to see him. We need to understand and see him in his holiness because it changes everything when we catch a glimpse of his holiness. Uh, listen to what happened with Isaiah when he first had a vision of God. Now, Isaiah was a very, very uh, amazing man. He was well-educated. He was a counselor to multiple kings. He was, he, he was called by God. He was this amazing guy. I mean, he, if anybody had the right to have any pride in himself, it'd be Isaiah. But listen to what happened. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were crying to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of the voices, the doorpost and threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He caught a glimpse of the holiness of God. And all of a sudden when he saw that, he could see himself clearly. And he realized, I am not all that I thought I was. I'm not as good as I thought I was. He looked at the holiness of God and he said, I'm in big trouble. I'm ruined. I have unclean lips. I have sin in my life. What am I going to do when I see the holiness of God, how can I deal with this? And we need to, the good news is that the angel took the coal from the fire and touched his lips and said, now you are made holy. That's what happens in our lives through the blood of Jesus. But we need to pray and we need to ask God to show us ourselves the way that he sees us. And we need that because our pride will lie to us and tell us that we're better than we are, that we're, that we are further along than we are. But I'm here to tell you that you need to be careful as you pray for this. Don't pray for it unless you mean it because there's a very, very strong likelihood that you're going to see some things in your life that you don't like and that you don't want to see. But when we see ourselves against His holiness, we begin to become broken in His presence. Because first of all, I begin to understand in a new way His grace. Because I see how far from Him I am in my character. And yet I know He has adopted me by the grace of God. It changes everything. We realize in that moment that we truly are nothing without Him. We realize in that moment that we truly are helpless without Him. And we become prideful in our lives when we lose sight of Him. 
and we get our eyes on us. That's what we do so easily as humans. But if I keep my eyes on Him, if I keep sight of the holiness of God, it helps me understand and appreciate the grace of God that more, much more. And it also keeps me humble before Him, realizing that the only reason I'm a child of God is because of His grace. By the way, it also keeps us humble as we share our faith with others. How many of you have ever known somebody that kind of had the attitude where they lean up against the cross and say, hey, you dirty, rotten sinners, you better get right. You're in trouble if you don't get right. No. When you catch the glimpse of the holiness of God and you know what he's done in your life, you know what you do instead? You kneel at the cross and you weep before him and you say to others, come on, there's room. There's room for you too. I've found grace. I've found forgiveness. You can find it too. And there's one more area we have to be broken. And that is that our hearts must be broken. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. I think everybody here realizes, you look around and you know that our world is completely and utterly lost and without God. Our society is in shambles. Violence rules the day. Comfort and convenience are more important than doing what is right. There is no respect for life. And there is, listen, there is no fear of God. None. In addition to that, there is a quiet desperation in this nation. Spiritually, we live in very, very dark days. And even the church is often consumed with pride and completely self-absorbed with us and what we want. But we as a nation and as a people, we have had every benefit, we have every opportunity, every blessing, and yet in spite of that, we're still on this downward spiral toward destruction. Much of the world is suffering in poverty and trying to appease God through, through false religion. We sang that song earlier, uh, uh, shake up the walls of, of all my religion. Well, well, listen, religion is man's attempt to get to God, but Christianity is God's attempt to reach down to man. And, and so we have people all over the world that are, that are trapped and deceived with false religions, trying to earn their way to God, which is an impossible task when Jesus said, I'm the only way there is. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And it's, it's easy when we look at all these things and we see what's going on. Here's the reality. It is super, super easy for us as followers of Christ to become hardened to the pain of the world around us, to become hardened to the brokenness of the world around us, to become complacent, to get what, what some people call com, compassion. Uh, uh, I even forget now what it's called. So you'll figure it out later. But uh, 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 fatigue, that's the word I'm looking for. Compassion fatigue. And it's easy to look around and just become callous. It's easy to, to say, I just don't want to feel the pain anymore. But our hearts need to be softened by the compassion of God for this world. I can't, I can't speak for you. I can't speak for anybody in this room, but I want to bear my soul before you today. I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest with you this morning, but I don't think I'm alone in this. 
But when I see many of the things happening in our nation, when I see our government embracing values that are in direct opposition to the character and nature of God, when I see decisions being made by those in authority that will that will lead to untold suffering and destruction of, of our nation, when I see people mocking God and thumbing their noses at Him, when I see our nation and our world crumbling around us because of the godlessness of mankind, my natural reaction to all of those things is often not one of compassion, but of anger. I'm just here to tell you that's my natural reaction. I, I think probably a lot of us are the same way. I get angry when I see what's happening. I get angry when I see politicians speaking bald-faced lies and they're never held to account for their destructive falsehoods. I get angry when I see people fight for the right to murder unborn children. I get angry when I see that. I get angry when I see blatant racism disguised as what they call anti-racism. I get angry when I see terrorist thugs carry out attacks on innocent and helpless people, including women and children. And then I see people try to minimize and justify the actions of animalistic, savage murderers. I get angry when I see people determined and resolute to expose young people to what amounts to pornography, all in an effort to socially engineer a society in the future that accepts and it encourages things that the word of God declares a sin. I get angry at all of those things and many, many more things. And the truth is anger is an appropriate response as long as it's channeled in the right direction. It's okay to be angry, but I need to direct my anger toward the enemy of the souls of mankind. I need to direct my anger toward the one that's, 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 that's forcing these, these deceptions on this world, that's, that's leading mankind to an uh, utter destruction. And I need to get angry at him. And, and then I need to fall on my knees and I need to do spiritual battle for my family. And I need to do spiritual battle for my friends. And I need to fight for my nation and my world, not just on the, in the ballot box, but I need to fight on my knees in prayer. I should be angry at Satan. But you know what? I must have the heart of God transplanted into my being so that I can respond to people with a broken heart full of compassion for those who are walking around in blindness and deception. We should weep over the things that cause God to weep. You know, the, the truth is that many, many people here in this country, they have said no to Jesus time and time and time again. And that should break my heart. But also, there are also millions and millions of people who have never even had the chance to say no to Jesus. They've never heard. These things break the heart of God. God loves all people, even those who stand against every everything that is good and righteous, even those who mock the very one who gave his life to redeem them, even those who despise and abuse those who follow Christ, even those who are sinking into the depths of the deepest depths of sin, Jesus died for all of them. And he weeps over the lostness of the world. And I want you to know, he weeps over the lostness of Marion in West Memphis. But I know we will... Weep over the lost people of God, uh, over the world, only when we have the heart of God. We need to understand how he mourns for people who are lost. 
We need to get in touch with his heart and let his heartbeat pound within our chest. This will remind us of our mission on earth and help motivate us to reach this world, to reach this city, to reach our neighborhoods, to reach our, our family. His heartbeat is redeeming mankind. And he has called us to this mission. However, here's what I know to be true. We will never be broken. We will never weep over the things that break the heart of God as long as we're absorbed in ourselves. And I'm here to tell you, you can mark this down. The enemy will always try to get your eyes on your own problems, on your own issues, on your own passions, on your own offenses, on your, your own desires, your own interests, on your own fill in the blank. In fact, you know, he'll even try to distract you in church by trying to get you focused on yourself and your comfort and your desires in church. And, and, even, and, and, and even, even in our praise and worship, he'll try to pull it in there because he'll try to get us more focused on who we are in Christ than on who Christ is in us. It's good to know who you are in Christ, but you know what? It's a lot more important to know who Christ is in you. He'll do everything he can to make all of this all about you. He'll do everything he can to get your eyes off of God, to get your heart distracted from the call of God on your life. But friend, I want to speak the truth to you this morning. We are living in the last of the last days. We are living in the last of the last days. World events are unfolding around us that show us that the final preparations are being made and the trumpet is about to blow. Jesus is coming and that should fill our hearts with joy and anticipation. But you know what? It should also cause our hearts to break over the millions of people who are not ready. John 9, 4, Jesus said this, As long as it is day, we must do the work of Him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. We must sense the urgency of the hour. We are running out of daylight, friend. I have a, a friend, he's going to be with the Lord. He was a tremendous missionary and pastor. He did so much. His name was Dwayne Jones. And I remember one time he came to speak for me in Reno, Nevada, and uh, he came in Saturday, Saturday night. We went out for a dinner together and, and uh, just to get uh, reacquainted. We hadn't seen each other for a while. He was quite a bit older than me. I looked up to him. He was one of the most incredible communicators I've ever known in my life. But we sat there at that dinner and we talked about things. And he started sharing with me about different things going on around the world and what God was doing. But he made a statement to, to me at that dinner that, that, that just hit me like a bolt of lightning and it has stuck with me. That, I mean, that was, I, I mean, almost probably more than 20 years ago now. It was 20 years ago by now, but it still sticks with me. But he looked me in the eye across the table and he said, he said, Dave, we're not running out of money. He's talking about the mission field. He said, we're not running out of money. We're running out of time. And boy, that hit me like a ton of bricks. 
Because it's not just true on the mission field somewhere overseas. It's true right in my neighborhood. It's true for my family. It's true for everybody around me. It's not about the money. It's not about any of those things. The truth is we're running out of time. The night is coming when no one can work. We're running out of daylight. And now is not the time to worry about your reputation or your social standing or your financial standing or your fear of rejection. Now, my friend, as a follower of Jesus Christ, now is a time for action. We don't have much more time. We have to really believe that. Do we believe Jesus is coming? Do we believe we're running out of time? Then the question is, what will we do about it? I'm telling you, this message has burned in my heart this week. I've sat in my office and I've wept multiple times as I began to put these, these things together and put them on paper. And I realized how often in my life I had grown like a days ago. How many times I said, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it later. And the Holy Spirit is calling us and he's saying, please, now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time before it's too late. You have people who need Jesus. You have people who need him desperately. You know, there are many, many people in the world today who claim to be prophets. I'm not going to say that every person is a false prophet today, but please be careful. There's a lot of people that claim to be prophets. They're not prophets. But I believe if there ever was a modern day prophet, it was a man that passed away a number of years ago by the name of Keith Green. See, a true prophet of God, and he never claimed to be a prophet but a true prophet of God always calls sinners to repentance and also calls God's people to repentance. And Keith Green was a man whose songs did exactly that during his time on earth. And one of his songs that uh, made an impact on my life and still does, that, that came to my mind this week as I was preparing this message, the Lord brought the words to this song back to me. And I've listened to it multiple times this week. And every time the tears have just flowed as I began to to say, God, as the name of the song, make my life a prayer to you. Here's what the words say. Make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to do. No empty words and no white lies, no token prayers, no compromise. I want to share the light you gave through your son you sent to save us from ourselves and our despair. It comforts me to know you're really there. Chorus says, well, I want to thank you now for being patient with me. Oh, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. I guess I'll have to trust and just believe what you say. Oh, you're coming again, coming to take me away. Then the next verse says, I want to die and let you give your life to me so that I might live and share the hope you gave to me the love that set me free. I want to tell the world out there, you're not some fable or fairy tale that I've made up inside my head. You're God the Son. You've risen from the dead. And he sings again, Oh, I want to thank you now for being patient with me. Oh, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. I guess I'll have to trust and just believe what you say. Oh, you're coming again. Coming to take me away. And he ends the song by singing, I want to die and let you live. Your life 
and give, let you give your life to me that I might live and share the hope you gave to me. I want to share the love that set me free. I think the very first words of that song, of the very first verse, sum up my prayer today. And what I hope is your prayer when he said, make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No empty words and no white lies. No token prayers. No compromise. What will you do? Will you continue to coast along or will you be serious about the call of God in your life? Because every person as a follower of Jesus has the call of God. Your call may not be to full-time ministry, may not be to pastoring, but you have a call of God on your life to make Jesus known, to be a missionary wherever He plants you. Are you ready for an unquestioning surrender of your life? And I know that's a process. I don't know about you, but I can come down to an altar and I can, I can hear Romans 12 where it says to, to offer our, our lives as a, Offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable to Him. And I can come down and say, Lord, here I am. I, I offer my life as a sacrifice. I'm surrendering to You. But here's, here's the problem with a living sacrifice. It keeps crawling off the altar. Which means that tomorrow morning I'm going to have to get up. I'm going to have to say again, Lord, I don't want to get complacent. I don't want to compromise. I'm putting myself on the altar again. Use me today. Somebody that needs you today. There's somebody I know I, you can touch through me today. Help me to be, have eyes to see. Help me have ears to hear. Let me have hands to touch. Help me to see those divine appointments that you set up for me. Are you willing to weep over this world? Listen, I'm here to tell you, when you begin to feel the weight of, for those that are lost, that burden, that's not always a pleasant moment. But are you willing to endure that for what will come? Because listen, until, until I get that, I'm not falling to my knees. That's just the way we are. Will you honestly be called a follower of Jesus Christ? Because if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to do what He did. What did He do? He said, I came to seek and to save that which is lost. My question for you today is, will you dare ask God for His heart? Will you dare pray that prayer? Only you can answer those questions. I can't answer them for you. One of the frustrating things of being a pastor is that I can't answer the questions for you. You have to. Only you. Between you and God. Would you bow your head? Father, In the, in the stillness and the holiness of this moment. Lord, I've just, I've done my best. I've done what I can do. And I know it's not enough. But God, I'm just here to say, Lord, I want my heart to be changed. There are places where I need to be changed. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is convicting a number of us. You're dealing with us. You're saying, Please, please listen. And God, I pray that right now, Lord, that 
we would, be a, we would allow your spirit to break us in our will, to break our pride, to, to break our stubbornness, to break our hearts for this lost world. Because God, we know that when we let you do that in our lives, it changes us, it changes the way we see, it changes the way we talk, it changes the way we act. And God, I, I, I certainly have not intended this message to be a message that would bring condemnation to anybody, but God, I do pray that you would bring conviction to us. That this is not a condemnation in any way, that this is not a matter of whether anybody in this place is saved or not, that this is just a matter of whether we will go all in or not. God, I just pray that you would just, just woo us you deal with us. And God, even, even right now, there may be some people and their, their will is fighting what you're trying to say to them and saying, I don't, want, I don't want to do that. I don't want to deal with this. But God, I pray, just break us before you. We'd rather fall on you and be broken than to have you fall on us and be crushed. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, and there's nobody looking around. and Maybe you're watching on the live stream and you'd say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to ask you why or how, but you just say, you just say, Pastor, pray for me because I really sense the Holy Spirit dealing with me. Sense the Spirit talking to me and, I, and I'm not going to resist His will. I, I want to do what He wants me to do. No token prayers, no compromise. If that's you today and you'd say, Pastor, pray for me, slip your hand up right where you are. Yeah. All over the place. Maybe you're online, you can, you can just say, Pastor, pray for me in the comments section. Listen, I believe the Holy Spirit is desperately talking, not just us, but to the church all, all, over the, all around the world. And He's calling His church to action. Because we live, as I said, I believe in the last of the last days. And he's saying to us, now's not the time to play church. Now's the time to be the church. I want to pray for you. And while I pray, would you just simply, in your own words, in your own way, would you just talk to God, do business with him before you leave today? Just talk to him and, and, and just whatever he's dealing with you about just say here I am and maybe you're in a place where it's still a struggle and you're saying Lord I don't know if I'm willing or not maybe you can just say but God I'm, I'm willing to be made willing would you work in me just invite him in to do whatever he wants to do I'm going to pray for you Father I come right now for all of those that, are, that have raised their hand all of those that you're dealing with deep in their hearts, I pray, God, that in Jesus' name, that you would do your work. Whatever it is, God, wherever we need to surrender, wherever we need to be broken, God, I pray that you would break us, that we would we would cast ourselves on you, and that breaking in the right places would take place, and that, God, we would be 
we'd be surrendered in our wills, that our pride would be broken, and God, that our hearts would be broken for the world around us. God, help us to direct that anger in the right place, that we realize that the God of this world, that Satan himself is working to destroy mankind, and God, that instead of being angry at the person who's deceived, that God, we would be angry at the deceiver, and we would, we would, we would live with compassion and love toward the one who is deceived. Not, not uh, compromising the truth, but always speaking the truth, but always, God, that we would be filled with your love, your compassion. God, I pray you'd help us to take your call so seriously because we know our, the days are short. We don't have much more time. And I pray, God, that you would help us, make us effective, empower us, fill us with your spirit so that we would be empowered to be your witnesses in, in our neighborhoods, in our marketplaces, in, in our schools, in our workplaces, all over the world. Lord God, make us effective witnesses. And Lord, I pray that we would be faithful in, in obeying you and to leave the results of, of that witness in your hands. And God, I pray that you would just raise this church up. Raise us up in this community. Lord, we want to love this city the way you love them. And we fall short a lot. We know that, God. But that's our goal. That's our aspiration. So Holy Spirit, just flood our hearts and our lives with your love. Greater than we've ever known. Help us to see people around us the way that you see them. Even the ones that are the most irritating, the ones that that are even, even when you consider themselves our enemy, help us to see them the way you do as a person created in the image of God who has been deceived, who is dead in their sins, whom Jesus loves dearly and wants to save. Lord, change us. Have your way in us, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.